welcome to another episode of Theology Doesn't Suck, where our hope is that theology doesn't suck. With you today, as always, is myself, Josh Patterson, and my uh, bearded co-host. Sorry, Marty, I couldn't think of anything better to say. My bearded co-host, Marty Frederick. Let's go to old Marty. Hey, man, how's it going? Today's a good day. It's a Bears Victory Monday. That's always a good day. Um, oh, right on. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they kind of... they. They didn't look good, but they still won. So <laughs> that's all right that matters on. right now. Good no. for you. Yeah, good for you, the Bears. And I. Uh, the Ravens also won. You know, Lamar Jackson is stellar. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, Noel and I, actually, my parents gave Noel and I tickets to go to the game yesterday, which is really cool because we had never gone before. So we got to go experience that. Um, but, Marty, something I'm more excited about, maybe perhaps in football, is that uh, – a certain preseason kicks off today. Do you know what that might be? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess uh, professional cricket. Dude, how did you know? <laughs> I, I was just taking a guess. No, nah, you're – no, I'm sorry. I, If anybody <laughs> likes cricket, I apologize. I have no experience of the sport. But <laughs> no, ice hockey, man. The Washington oh, Capitals yeah. are back today, and they're playing your Chicago Blackhawks in D.C., Wow. So, well, I mean, just like I was saying earlier to you and before anyone else could hear us, um, I mean, who knows? I mean, they're probably not actually going to play like any of the good players, are they? I mean, it's like, is it kind of like NH- or NFL preseason where like not everyone plays and like you, like all like the younger, like the younger, not as good players get a chance to like get some minutes on the ice? And, like, yeah. So basically kind of how the NHL structures it, or at least the, the coaches tend to do this, they... The earlier on in the preseason, the uh, more like rookies or, um, you know, like kids that might still be in college that the league has rights to whatever uh, get to play. And then once you get to the very last preseason game, it's typically like a dress rehearsal. And that's when they'll have like their full, you know, anticipated starting lineup. Um, Got it. But to start out, you know, they have like the 17, 18, 19 year old kids. Um, and they'll throw in veterans as well, you know, to get them conditioned and things like that. But it is a lot of, you know, people trying to make the team, trying to make the AHL affiliate, whatever. Uh, but preseason's a lot of fun uh, because it doesn't really matter. And you get to see a whole ton of players that, you know, maybe you would never otherwise get to see. But yeah, well, you know what? This game won't matter. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling too bad. I'm not, fe- I'm not too worried about this one. All right, well, when the regular season gets here and the Blackhawks do not beat the Capitals a single time this season, there's my bold prediction, Marty. Uh, <laughs> hey, all I know is that there's plenty more cups hanging in the United Center for the Chicago Blackhawks than there are hanging up in the poop center for the Washington Capitals or whatever right, their stadium that's is called. Just, that's just disrespectful. Poop, man, <laughs> come on. Come on. Poop, E12. <laughs> I wanted to be a but not but not but kind of like weird I got all the you. same time. I appreciate this it. This is getting off the rails. <laughs> yeah, we should we should end this real quick. Uh, especially cuz we have a guest today and I don't want to scare them off before they even get a, you know, share cuz I think there's a lot of cool stuff to say. So, um with this today, let's go ahead and do that. Let's bring in our guest. With us today, uh we have Terrence Lester. Terrence, how's it going? How's it going? Grateful to be with you all today. Yeah, thank you for taking time to, to hang out and uh, please ignore our, our nonsense banter. I promise we're a lot cooler than we sound. 
<laughs> no, it, it was fun, man. It was fun. <laughs> right on. Well, since uh, so we do have um, a question that we ask everybody. You know, right away, the first thing we do when when they come on the show, um, it's a super important question uh, that you have to answer, even if you feel like you don't have one. Is that okay? All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go the, for it. Here's the question: What is your favorite hockey team? My favorite hockey team. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I will have to go with Google. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Let's see. I love it. Um. Well, we can help. I'm going to say, I'm going to say the uh, the Penguins. All right, you're going to go with Pittsburgh. Yep. All right, I can respect that. Poor Josh. Yeah, poor Josh. I, they're, so they're like the, the biggest. They're the biggest rival of the the Washington Capitals, and so oh, I'm yeah. uh, I'm from Maryland, and so that's my team. And uh, Marty's from uh, like the Chicago area, so he likes the Blackhawks. Um, nice. But maybe is there a different sport that you like that you follow? Yeah, man, I, I follow basketball and okay. uh, professional football. Who? All right. So who do you like in, in basketball, and who do you like in football? Golden. State. Okay, Golden um, State. Yeah, like Golden State, and also like the Falcons. Okay, right on. Because you're in Atlanta, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm in Perfect. Atlanta. All yep. right, all right. How come you good. don't like the Hawks? <laughs> well, <laughs> because they don't have Steph Curry. That's, why. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfectly acceptable answer. I dig Got it. it. <laughs> Got it. The Hawks. The Hawks gave the Bulls some trouble the last. The well, well, at least back when the Bulls were actually good. Um, the Hawks gave the Bulls some trouble, so it was always interesting watching those those games. Uh, I'm a huge Bulls fan, so yeah, man. Are you referring to like when Dominique Wilkins? <laughs> was, no, <laughs> back when Rose was playing. So even though the Bulls would pull okay, through, okay, you know, yeah. it's still they always like they always just they were so scrappy and you know yeah. just you know, it was just it was fun watching those guys play because uh, you know it, the the Bulls would come in thinking it was going to be easy, and then they'd always have to go to at least six games. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just gave myself away. The last time I had interest in the Hawks was when Dominique Wilkins played. Right right on. Well, I so I'm I call them the Washington Wiz turds, uh, but I like that's who I follow. (laughs) And Uh, I don't know. I don't know too much about basketball. My friend Javaska got me into watching basketball because he would come over to uh, to watch basketball like Anytime it was on, he didn't have cable, so he'd come hang out. And he's a LeBron fan, so he just follows LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, man. You you have great faith uh, following the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, or stupidity. So I, one of the so, two. Yeah, so I guess I guess theology doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Sweet. All right, man. Well, um, can you tell us just uh, for people who who haven't heard the name Terrence Lester before? Can you uh, just kind of tell us who you are, uh, what you do, maybe a little bit about like your upbringing, your family, uh, whatever you think would be helpful or whatever you're comfortable with? Yeah, man. Uh, well, my name is Terrence Lester, and I am uh, a, a resident of and a native of Atlanta, Georgia. Man, I've been here pretty much all my life, although okay. I've I've traveled, I've traveled to a lot of different states around the country. Uh, one of which my favorite is Chicago. So yep. <laughs> shout out to the shy, the shy town, um, man, I got married, uh, 
early on at a young age. I was, I was about 23 years old. My wife was 21, and we've been married 13 years now. So Congrats. we're headed. Into, thank you, man. Headed to into the 14th year. Uh, we have two kids, uh, Terrence the second, um, and Zion Joy. Uh, nice. She's my daughter, and, and my son is my son is eight. And my my daughter is 11 years old, and she just started middle school. So shout out to all of the fathers who have daughters starting middle school. <laughs> yeah, we're praying for I you guys. A, <laughs> I had a lot of anxiety, man, when I when I took her um, this year. But yeah, um, been here my whole life, man. Uh, definitely had a, uh, a transformational story uh, because of faith uh, to happen in my life. Uh, classical, headed in the wrong direction, and uh, you know, God. Uh, you know, through the power of the gospel, changed my life, man. And uh, I, I would say that happened around maybe 20, 21 years of age. And I've just been following Christ ever since and uh, doing as much as I can to tell people about uh, the good news that we, we hold and adore. So, yeah. Right on, man. That's awesome. That's what's up. Yeah. Well, uh, today, in case you didn't know, I, I hopefully figured this out, but we had we have you on because you wrote a really cool book uh, that I really personally enjoyed reading. Um, it came out not too long ago, um, and it's called I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. And so I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you today again. I think I told you over Instagram, like, you know, uh, reading your book, I was feeling really convicted. <laughs> so, oh, wow. uh, mission accomplished. Uh, well done. Um, oh, wow, man. Thank you for reading it, too, man. Let me ask you this. How, how did you even come in contact with the book? So, uh, I'm kind of a dork, and I read probably too much. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I saw... Um, some different uh, like streams that I follow on Instagram and Facebook uh, were like you know giving you a shout out about your book and saying hey this is coming out you guys should check it out I think Intervarsity was promoting it um, yeah I think too the um, oh goodness I can't remember their name now uh, Marty what was that guy's like we had him on the podcast um, see Christopher Smith he has like the book review company do you remember what it's called they were promoting oh, it too. Shoot. I can't remember. I feel bad. So if he's listening, uh, Chris, I apologize. <laughs> I can't remember. That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. But yeah, so I think just through like different uh, promotional aspects like that, and I saw it, and um, I mean the like I know that they say you shouldn't uh, judge a book by its cover, but I saw the cover and I was like, wow, I need to read this book. <laughs> it just jumped out at me, and um, yeah, and just like. I hadn't really read anything uh, on on poverty or or on people experiencing homelessness uh, before, which is crazy because I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life, and so it just it really piqued my interest, um, and so I went ahead and picked it up. Man, that means a lot to me. Uh, thank you for having me on on this show first and foremost, and and thank you for. Uh, reading the content, man, which is a, a very, very important subject, especially if, um, you know, we, we're professing, professing followers of Jesus, man. It's a, a really important uh, topic, especially poverty, because there's over 2,000 scriptures in the entire Bible 
that speak to the issue of, of poverty and, and, hmm. and God's love for, for those who are oppressed and poor and, you know, marginalized. So thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for taking the time to, to write the book and, and to, to put it out there. Um, like I said, it was super helpful uh, for me, very convicting. Um, and also, too, it's just it's crazy, man, because just on like an aside, I guess, before we jump in, um, like the title really, even just the title of your book was convicting to me uh, because all of us know the experience of, you know, coming up to an intersection uh, and there's some people there um, that are experiencing homelessness, asking for money. Uh, I used to live in, in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, that's actually where I met Marty. And we everywhere we saw that. And, you yeah. know, I live in a suburb of D.C. now. Uh, so I see it all the time, constantly. And just uh, the title, I See You, <laughs> just, you know, was, was really convicting because it's true. All of us see it. It's a problem that we all know about. Um, but often, you know, we just either think maybe oh someone else will take care of that, or um, yeah. you know, you do the the shameful thing. You know, I put my eyes down and look like I'm checking my phone at a stoplight or something. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. So I'm ready to to dive in. Yeah, kill it. Uh, why? So I guess just to start off, then why? Like, why did you write this book? What What was your motivation? Yeah. So. It's two, well, it's threefold. Uh, Firstly, man, um, I would say because I'm a follower of Christ. Amen. um, (laughs) You know, my my faith uh, informs my ethics. It informs uh, my worldview. It informs the way in which I I move throughout uh, society and culture and love my neighbor. Uh, when Christ is talking about neighbor, he's talking about loving people who are not like you, uh, which is a stark contrast to how we normally operate as, as Christians. We, we normally, you know, move in spaces that we're familiar with. We move in environments where we're comfortable. Um, we love people who are in close proximity, uh, to us. And, uh, when Jesus is saying, you know, you gotta love God. God with everything and your neighbor as yourself, he, he's basically saying you take the vertical relationship and and make sure that people who are who are who are proximate with you that you aren't familiar with experience that same love. Um, so it's informed by that, man. Um, I mean, Matthew nine and Jesus, when he was having his earthly ministry, man, he would see people who were broken and weary and he was moved with compassion. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when I read scriptures like that, man, they jump out and I go, that's how I want to live. You know, that's probably one of my my favorite scriptures outside of him coming out of the, the 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And it says that he was among those who were lame and he was teaching and he was, uh, you know, performing miracles. And it says, and then his fame without went, without, went out uh, through all the land. And I love uh, that the writer made it um, a priority to note that Jesus was focused on the work of being proximate to those who were broken, um, and he wasn't focused on fame, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a star- also a stark contrast to like how we see um, consumeristic Christianity today, uh, where people are 
you know, solely focused on the prosperity of, of it and not necessarily the uh, the, practic- the practical application of what it means to live like Christ uh, mm. in, 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 in modern times. So it, uh, that informed me, man. Another part is, uh, too, you know, I experienced homelessness a little bit when I was a teenager uh, running away from home, had some, uh, some troubles early on. And, uh, you know, I was, I remember going to high school and I, I was sleeping in parks and, you know, from friend's house to friend's house and, um, just had a a rough upbringing. And so, uh, you know, years later when I, when I actually came to faith, um, you know, my, my life transformed man, you know, the high school that I was put out of, I went back and gave, a graduation speech, uh, you know, the juvenile justice officer that arrested me when I was a teenager, I led his kids to faith and I could like literally see God, um, transforming me from the inside out, but also transforming, uh, you know, you know, the world around me by, by me just being surrendered to following Christ. And so, um, started seeing that man and then started to see how I could use you know, my testimony and, uh, you know, what God had done in my life to share good news with other people, mm-hmm. you know, um, if I had been in the, the particular predicament that I was in, then, you know, who, who am I to withhold that good news that I received that was transformational, uh, for me, uh, from having other people here, man. So I, I just, you know, I was just overwhelmed with that love and, and wanted to, um, share it with other people who could relate, uh, with me. And, uh, you know, thirdly, man, I went back to school and got, you know, a little education, um, and, uh, started, you know, I'm, I'm like you, man, I read a lot. I amassed a pretty large book collection and I read di- uh, deep and I read wide and I just mm-hmm. wanted to, uh, do whatever I could to, also show other Christians and other people kind of standing on the sidelines, uh, waiting, uh, to be put in the game, so to speak. Uh, yeah. we, we use sports as an analogy. So, you know, waiting to put, be put in the game and just wanting to show them that they had already been put in the game. <laughs> yeah. It was just up for them to respond, uh, to the ways in which, uh, God is already working in the world. So yeah, man. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. That, that's great. That's, Man, that that's so cool too. Like I, I always have such a respect uh, for people when they they use the, their story to to then in turn you know flip it and um, to help others who have a similar story. Um, especially too, because I I kind of have this understanding that like you know God is is still telling His story and we all um, yeah. are a part of that story. And so to see how your story connects with my story and, and then your story connects with Marty's and how Marty and all three of us story overlap, it's just always really cool to see that. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I think just based off of what you just shared, the, the whole, um, testimony of you going back and sharing Jesus in with, with the officer's kids that, you know, the, the, the one that arrested you, I mean, that's just a, such a powerful testimony of like how Jesus redeems, um, but like you never know how your interaction with somebody at one point in life, whether good or bad, is going to like how Jesus is going to use that in the future. Uh, that was just really cool to hear. So I love that. 
Um, yeah, man. Praise God, man. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. God, God, God is uh, the ultimate redeemer, bro. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So I guess um, before we jump in real quick, uh, you know, to, to speak on uh, homelessness, I thought you did a really cool thing uh, in the beginning of your book. You talked about what is home. And you said home is where you feel safe, a place with people you can count on and where you can be yourself. Home is a place of unconditional belonging. And then you talked about how Jesus proclaims the good news that those who have been outsiders are accepted into the family of God and have a spiritual home that can never be tampered with or taken away. I just thought that was such a, that's a really cool connection um, and a a really great way to, you know, speak about, um, you know, part of the gospel (coughs) message is this idea that, you know, God adopts us into his family and then we have that, that spiritual home. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that was really important, man. So like based upon the definition of, of home that I I was aiming at, like if we were to ask, um, do people experiencing homelessness and poverty feel home? What would the answer be based upon the definition of home being a place of acceptance, uh, unconditional love and support and belonging? Um, if, even if we left shelter out of the equation and we asked the question, you know, are people experiencing homelessness and poverty at home? The answer would probably be no, mm. uh, which is, you know, contrary to the gospel. Uh, when we when we read the text and we understand that the narrative of Jesus, uh, you know, giving up of himself in a way so that we could be reconciled. Uh, Paul uses the word reconciliation, be reconciled with, with God. He even uh, goes on to say that Christ became poor so that we might become rich, right? Rich in what? Rich in relationship. And if uh, in the presence of God is the ultimate home, acceptance, belonging, safety, um, and that's uh, surrounding with the good news of what Christ has done, then as Christians, um, you know, I kind of wrestle with like, why, why does that really prohibit us from really loving those who are without homes? Uh, when we are the first to, to identify with a message <laughs> that we were outcasts, right? And we received good news and we were invited into the family of God and the family of God uh, provides safety, belonging, support. You know, that those are all of those uh, great things. We were we were spiritually impoverished. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were at a deficit and Christ uh, paid that debt. I mean, we have all of the practical language of understanding uh, what the suffering of our brothers and sisters living on the street deal with day to day. Our you know, it's immaterial poverty, right? But then there's material poverty. And I, what I'm arguing is that we should allow uh, what Christ has done for us uh, with our immaterial poverty to create the compassion, <laughs> that love overflowing, that we uh, have Samaritan eyes, that when we look at other people who are suffering in the world, that the love of God overwhelms us to the point where we want to share that good news and serve in whatever way we can. Um, and, and, and invite people uh, into the family uh, with that good news um, so they, too, can be home, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, that's great. That I think it's that's so helpful because then uh, what that also does as well is it it kind of brings everybody onto the you know um, the same playing field, so to speak, uh, because yeah. we can realize that okay, maybe for us we haven't necessarily dealt with um, material poverty, as you said, but everybody, every every single person uh, that has ever walked this earth has dealt with. Uh, a spiritual poverty or even if they don't like that yes. language uh, a poverty of belonging or relationship or love that right. is you know connects us all as human beings and i think you know being able to see uh, other people's story and hear somebody else's story um you know and and make it so that we're all you know on the level of we're all human beings we're all in this together um right you know that's super helpful yeah yeah yeah, man. I mean, as you said, uh, people can re- definitely rephrase. I mean, there's emotional lack. There's a lack of lack of relational uh, equity. There's a, a, a lack of social equity. You know, uh, people have not been seen in their, you know, the, the dysfunction of their family or at a job. I mean, people, all of us have at some point cross the intersection or come to the intersection of that, that impoverishment that can't be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so I think, uh, one word we've been using a lot and you do a really nice job of defining it in your book, uh, is the word poverty. And you say, you know, on one hand, systematic poverty is complicated. Uh, there are hundreds of contributing factors, but then on the other hand, pro- poverty can be simple. Uh, so can you just kind of break down uh, what is poverty? What do you mean by that? Kind of define it for us. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, in its simplest form, I, I just define poverty as a lack of access, yep. right? Um, a lack of access to healthy foods. It could be a lack of access uh, to other basic needs, uh, such as showers, uh, affordable housing. Uh, it could be a lack of access uh, to good education or clean water. I know we, uh, we just saw recently in the news about, um, uh, the reminder about Flint because of, uh, Newark, Newark, New Jersey is having some complication with complications with their watering system up there. I mean, um, and most of these, these elements that we're speaking about happen in close proximity to, uh, neighborhoods that, uh, wrestle with a, a bunch of poverty. And so uh, when you are impoverished, right, uh, you don't have access to uh, some of the things that you would uh, benefit from if you were, you know, in closer proximity to uh, communities that had more privileges. And I like to even say this, man, that opportunity happens in community. Mm. And sometimes when you're impoverished, you don't necessarily have uh, that relational equity that I was speaking about earlier. So, like, even access just to a a good relationship. Right. Uh, Many people who listen to this this podcast uh, have access to technology. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, there's a digital divide that happens across the, the country where, you know, people who are living in impoverished uh, circumstances don't even have access to um, just basic technology, uh, which can be 
a roadblock within itself because most jobs are pushing their application process uh, online. I mean, it's a it's it's access to information. I mean, I'm looking behind you right now, Joshua, and you have books, and Marty, you have books <laughs> yeah. right there. <laughs> you know yeah, exactly. I mean, you know when you're when you're suffering with poverty. I mean, if we use Maslow's hierarchy of needs, man, when you're just on that bottom level, uh, your main focus is just focusing on, you know, how do I survive? Where where's a good and safe place to sleep? How do I get access to water? Some of those basic things, and you can't even think about uh, purpose. They use the term self actualization towards the top of the pyramid if you're shrouded with. Uh, just survival day to day. Right. Mm. And so, mm. you know, most people who are either living on the streets or, you know, living below the poverty line or near the poverty line are uh, focused on those second by second activities that they may need to do um, just to survive the moment. Man, there are 140 million people in the United States of America that either lives below the poverty line or near it, uh, mm. meaning uh, one paycheck away. The average American right now does not have $400 in a savings account for any major emergency. You know, uh, 20 plus states right now still adhere to the federal minimum wage of $7 and 25 cents an hour. Um, and there's this idea that if you're poor, then you have certain characteristics about yourself that mm. in most cases aren't necessarily true. So like if you're poor, you may, you may have some moral issues or if you poor, that means that you may not have a good character or if you are poor, then it may mean that you have made wrong decision or bad decisions <laughs> uh, in your life and you don't work hard and, and that you're lazy. And uh, the truth of the matter is uh, that uh, people experience, in poverty are some of the hardest working people uh, that you'll ever meet. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, so. I, that's I wanna, pretty low to answer. So I'm. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's so good, man. I I love it. Um, but I like this this idea of access. Um, yeah. You know, brings to mind for me uh, an, an experience I had recently. Uh, so I'm a I'm a youth pastor. I don't know if I if I told you that or not. So I, I work with high school students. Um, and we did an urban mission trip uh, to D.C. this past summer. And yeah. one of the things that specifically to, to make this point to the students that they tasked us with uh, was they dropped us off in, you know, inner city uh, D.C. in like a neighborhood and told us to go find fresh produce, go find and purchase an apple. And we could wow. not do it. Wow. We couldn't do it. There was no access. Any wow. any store that we found, any corner store that we found, uh, was just things like you'd expect, like chips and Twinkies, <laughs> you know. So right. something that uh, somebody like me takes for granted, which again is humbling, that I could leave my house right now, pull out of my driveway, and drive five minutes, <coughs> and have access to as much fresh produce as you know I could even buy all of it. Uh, like that, just idea of access is crazy and and to see it in person are uh, really kind of um helps solidify uh some of those ideas wow, yeah, I, man. I, I also think too like just piggybacking off that for you terrence to uh, have, have both replies <laughs> like 
I've, I've done a lot of overseas mission work and I've done some local missions work too as well. Um, but I, I do think that the general American um, does associate uh, like, you know, ease of access or non ease of access to someone that is living in an impoverished country. Um, and typically that impoverished country is not the United States. Um, so, so they would say like, Oh, so, you know, people living in the middle of Mexico, yeah, I, I could see how finding an apple would be tough for some, you know, people living in Haiti or something like that. Like, yeah, I could understand how that would be tough, but you know, Hey man, like if you live, if you live in any city, you could easily find an apple or an orange or fruit or whatever you needed to find. I think that they would forget that that is also a problem here um, and have a hard time associating that problem with America. I, I'm not sure if, if you would agree with that, but th- that's kind of my thought process on it. No, no, I, I totally agree, uh, which which causes me to ask this question that I guess we can wrestle with. How is it that we can see neighbor who is in a in an impoverished country um, a lot easier than we can see uh, neighbor here who's living domestically with impoverishment? I think it's a choice. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> exactly, and and in most cases, it's easier uh, for you to. And correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you go on a mission trip. Uh, you have the experience, and this is for persons who are not like living the missionary life. Um, you come back, uh, you know, after a few weeks, uh, you may remember what happened, but your own, you know, living your life. Whereas it here, it's a, it's constantly in your face, mm-hmm. and if you are to acknowledge it, then you have to wrestle with your response to God about it. Um, and you have to do something about it because to continue to ignore it here in your face means that, um, then you're choosing not, you're choosing not to see it. Um, which, which in most cases is is what I've seen. Um, that it makes it easier to go off and then come back because that's, like a one-off for some people yeah. um, and, and you do it every now and then, but it like dealing with poverty here, right in your face, that means you got a long-term commit. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, and, and the other side of that too is, I mean, the, re- the reality is those that get to go on those overseas mission trips are not necessarily amongst the impoverished of our country. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> and so I think, I think if that, that alone makes it even tougher because I think you're, you're there and you're seeing that, in, yeah. I mean, so for instance, the most recent place I went to was Mexico. Uh, I was in central Mexico. And, to, and for, for the most part, the place that I was in, um, there was both and. I mean, there were people that were definitely impoverished, but then there were people that were just fine um, as far as Mexican standards are concerned. Like they were living a life that they were happy with, that they were satisfied with, um, and that they, they did have access in many ways to a lot of, especially in the big city. I mean, that's the big city is, you know, a city just like anywhere else. Um but, you know, you, you see students, and it was students and adults. I'm a worship pastor, so, but worship and missions is kind of my focus. And, um, you know, you, you go with adults who come back to their nine to five Monday through Friday job. And uh, I, I don't think it takes long for that experience to wear off for the person that hasn't specifically sat down and said, God, show me this at home too. show me how I can 
you know, fill this void at home, you know, right. essentially asking, you know, for, for God to break our hearts for the things that break his. Um, right. And, and I, and I think the the trouble with that is, is because there's a lot of people out there that will say, don't go on short-term mission trips ever. And like, they have all their reasons for that. But the, the main reason being, you know, you go and you in many ways do more damage than help in yeah. those places, <clears throat> but then you come home um, and as one of my one of my favorite Christian rappers uh, likes to say, Lecrae said, "I just saw you were over in Africa. Now come back home and boss up." <laughs> <laughs> right. Shout out to my, my brother Lecrae because, because literally, I mean, that's exactly true. I mean, people go, they go there, and they come home, and they think they've done their their deed, their good Christian deed. Their you know their James you know the, the yeah, their their James work essentially, and then they come home, they go back to work, they go back to Starbucks, they go back and they do all the same exact things they've always done. Um, so really, honestly, that trip hasn't impacted them all that much, um, because if it truly impacted them, they would come home and continue the work they were doing and find ways to continue the work they were doing. Um, and I, I get that this isn't necessarily directly a missions issue, but I think it is in many ways. Yeah, uh, because it's easy to call missions over there, right. but it's and then say, well, what's going on here? Well, we're going to get involved with an organization, and that organization, you know, they're going to take meals that I prepare and bring it to people. Well, no, like go and do it yourself. I mean, literally, right. you can. Right. You don't have to sign up for an event that's specifically scheduled at a specific time, which always happens to be around like Thanksgiving or Christmas. <laughs> or those right. types of. <laughs> I signed up on the list at church. I went along. I hung out with my friends for a couple hours, and now I feel great. I mean, that's the same thing as going on this trip for a week and coming home and not, not doing anything. Um, the last thing I'll say is we, our youth pastor here just recently took – um, their students down to the inner city of Chicago and they go to Wacker Drive, which is one of the worst areas. Um, and he'll take um, high school students who are interested uh, down to Lower Wacker, which is even worse. I mean, this is like a, like the worst of the worst in the city of Chicago. Um, and they go and they bring sandwiches and food to any homeless person they can find. Uh, they'll pray with them. They'll talk with them. They'll find out what's just what's going on in their life. And there was a student that agreed to go that when he went was kind of nervous about it, and didn't really want to do it uh, once he was down there. Uh, but the pastor said, you know, I'm not going to push you. I just want to encourage you. Just do what you feel God's asking you to do. Uh, and within minutes, not only was he praying with these homeless people, but he was showing these eighth graders that were younger, like, oh, no, here's how you do this. Like, here, come on, I'll, I'll, I'll walk over there with you. Like, he was emboldened to do so. Um and then now they've been talking about they just they, they want to go back and do it again. But they but the you know the pastor said you don't need to wait for me. You could go anytime you want. <laughs> right, right. Take you go and do that stuff. And it's not about offering a sandwich, but more so forming those relationships. And they see you coming back. They're gonna it's gonna it's gonna show that you care. So I'll I'll stop talking. But I just <laughs> I, I I see the missions part in this uh, really deeply. And I and I feel like um, in the Christian church there's this issue with if I sign up to go on that once a year international big mission trip that costs $2,000 and I raised all this money, but I come back year after year after year and I never feel like my heart has changed, you know, maybe I could raise that $2,000 and do something different with it. I mean, mm, there's got to yeah. be a way to go about that. So, yeah, bro, like you're, you're spot on because um, the call to follow Jesus means that you're a missionary anywhere God wants you to be. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not over there or over there or this is better. It's, you know, how can the gospel, the good news uh, of God prevail, uh, you know, wherever he has you. Um, and and so shout out to that youth pastor, man, that, that chose to do that, man, and are modeling for uh, students what it means to incarnate Christ, man, and, and live Live, live, live your faith. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, don't put it off on any on, on any entity or anybody else, man. Uh, you too, or ha- have a call and a response to how you will serve God uh, with your life. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. I think I think that's all good. Yeah, it's all good, man. Yeah, absolutely. are listening to the theology doesn't suck podcast. dude marty no that's people don't want to hear it that way man it has to be it has what? to be more enthusiastic like this do you love theology doesn't suck have you been listening to this show because you truly believe theology doesn't suck the, no dude what dude that's that's like that's it's so nerdy like people are like people don't think that's genuine man that sounds so weird it needs to be something like this it needs to be like you know, hey guys, like, I don't know if you realize, but we have a patron feed and it's, it's so awesome because like you get a lot of really cool stuff and you just like, you just have to give us some yeah, money. Yeah, but we can't just straight up be like, hey, yo, give us your money. Cause that's like, people don't want to do that either. It's disrespectful to our listeners. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. So how about we do something like this? How about we do like, hey guys, it's Josh and Marty okay. from Theology Doesn't Suck podcast and you know here's the thing we love doing this podcast but you know as you probably know it takes a lot of effort and like we've got an awesome guy behind the scenes named matt who does like all of our awesome editing and all that stuff and you know it takes equipment and time and so like you know one of the things that we love about today's day and age is that there could be people out there that love our show so much that you just want to support us and so Josh, we started this awesome patron feed, and like, Josh, how, how can they find it? Like, what, what kind of stuff should they look oh, for? Well, yeah, and then we, we, well, we could tell them then, like, hey, go to patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck, and whereas for as little as $1 a month, right, you could become a patron, uh, and we have some different, you know, we could tell them about the different tiers, you know, where, where some tiers gives you access to a, a Facebook group specifically for patrons that allows you to do things like submit questions to be asked on episodes, uh, submit questions for bonus content, which, hey, bonus content is a part of another tier, some bonus episodes that are, you know, close to the public. So we could tell them those kind of things, right? Yeah, and and one of the things we could do, which would be really cool, Josh, is like every once in a while, just because we're really good people, we could like send them stuff either digitally or like through actual mail. That's kind of cool. Like, you know, like I play in a band. So like, what if we come up with a CD and like, we've got a CD and I just want to send it to oh, them yeah. or something, you know, like, you know, like that's another cool idea. So like, you know, maybe that could be like some of the higher tiers. So like they would, you know, they would never know that something cool was coming, but then like, Hey, surprise, this is coming to you. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And like, we could say like Christmas cards, cute stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That. That'd be great. How about, all right, well Uh, then how about we just tell people that and, uh, yeah, hopefully they go to patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck and, 
uh, join our, you know, theology doesn't suck community. Josh, I think, I think this is a good way for us to do this. So I think, okay, let's record this and wait, dude, I've been recording this whole time. Oh yeah, me too. All right. How about this? Let's just send this to Matt and, uh, we'll just go with it. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks guys. We love you. Back to the show. So like one, uh, one thing also uh, that you said, um, and you, you kind of, we touched on this a little bit, but you said in your book that I found that one of the greatest hindrances to helping them overcome their circumstances is how others uh, perceive them. And then uh, you talked about the importance of building a relationship. We can never fully know a person until we get close to them. And you said, you know, I've, I've learned that it's extremely hard to dislike or hate somebody uh, up close. And uh, so like to go in um, with this idea of getting to know people to help break down stereotypes, I just remember uh, I took a group of students uh, to a, a, um, to a church that was basically they provide a meal um, and then like clothes and some different things uh, for people currently uh, experiencing homelessness. And um, that was my first time personally being um, that up close and personal uh, and it changed, like it changed my experience completely. And so, like those words in your book just ring, you know, so true to me. Um, but also, too, man, like I was there, and then this mom came with like a four-year-old kid, and I had to leave. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. My students know they make fun of me because I cry, and I, you know, I'm not ashamed of that. But like, <laughs> that's yeah. See, Marty's <laughs> laughing at me. Shut up, Marty. Uh, they make fun of me, but dude, that wrecked me. So like that. I mean, those words ring so true, but uh, it's interesting you say like the, one of the biggest hindrances is just this misconception of people currently experiencing homelessness. And you touched on that briefly, but like, what are some of the just really big misconceptions or maybe stereotypes that you think are just so dangerous uh, that people really need to, to get over? Um, t- so they're not, you know, adding to the, the issue, but rather can start becoming a part of the solution. Yeah, like... Um saying that the poor are lazy and uneducated. Um, I was in Birmingham, Alabama here recently and met a guy, um, and he's 64 years old now. He, he, he had some, uh, so he, he was diagnosed with bipolar uh, disorder. Mm. So he has a mental illness and, but he, I mean, he could communicate. He was on medication. He, he told us that he was a pharmacy student. Uh, and did, uh, you know, years in pharmacy school, um, you know, uh, other stereotypes is like, you know, there's somebody else's responsibility or, <laughs> or you can't relate or, you know, they're poor because of their own fault or, you know, um, they have some, some spiritual or, or moral issues when, you know, I've met people living on the streets that know the Bible (laughs) more than uh, people who attend church every single Sunday, you know? (laughs) And it's always this contrast too, because it's like (laughs) you can attend uh, church sometimes and hide in the back and hide your spiritual, uh, you know, your spiritual brokenness when you live on the streets and I mean, you're totally dependent upon God. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, going through the social experiment of, of living on the streets on the other side of having education and stuff. And, um, man, you ask, you know, somebody, how, how are you going to get 
food and they say you got to pray to God for food. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a different level of dependence and faith. And I think that it's sometimes skewed because of secondhand information and mm-hmm. people becoming proximate. Um, one of the things I love about Christ, man, when you read the New Testament, it says, and Jesus saw over and over again. And Jesus saw he saw people, but he was also willing to to get proximate to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the proximity within itself is where the miracles happen. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 something life changing when you see a person not as a project, but as someone that. Mm. Uh, um, you could possibly enter into a relationship with, and you are not the the source of all strength in that relationship. That they too have something to give you. They have wisdom. They have talents. They have a worldview and a perspective that could give you depth and wisdom. And you know, it, it's just a totally different you know process when you enter into it from that from that perspective. And most people don't because they allow the secondhand information about what they heard about somebody um, to define how they behave towards them. But let me tell you this, man. If I didn't own a truck, you wouldn't call me truckless. <laughs> That's you know, true. If I, if I didn't wear a purse, you wouldn't call me purseless. I mean, how is it that we can, you know, we label to limit mm. and we need yeah. to start, start uh, you know, kind of de- deconstructing those notions. Yeah. Man, hey Marty, now Terrence is preaching, man. It's <laughs> all right though. It's okay, awesome. I want, it. I want more. <laughs> We're gonna change our name to Preaching Doesn't Suck. With our, our new co-host Terrence Lester. Um, <laughs> no, I love it, man. It's so good. It's so good. And like one of the one thing that I often hear, and you touched on this in your book too. Um, and not to bring you know politics into conversation, but I mean it just straight up is what it is. Uh, oftentimes we hear, uh, politicians misquoting Matthew 26, 11 or people in general, you know, they say for, you will always have the poor with you. And then they just say there, see, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor or whatever. Uh, and you talked about that in your book. Can you touch on that uh, a little bit for us? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Jesus in this passage, uh, he is kind of like, Requoting or restating uh, Deuteronomy 15 uh, verses 7 through 11. And uh, people who are like of a Jewish tradition that kind of understand the Torah would know what Jesus was actually talking about. He was he was actually saying that uh, um, because the poor is present, that you should open wide your hand. Uh, so the command is to. Uh, not be closed fist uh, towards the poor, but be open handed towards the poor because mm-hmm. God himself is open handed towards those uh, that are impoverished. And, it, it, you know, that when he says that he's he, <laughs> he's talking to Judas <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, to note about this story. The second thing we get, he's talking to Judas, who was scornful towards a woman for pouring out her perfume on Jesus. Uh, so he, he did not say this because he, he cared. Um, uh, well, Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but he, he said it because he was a thief. Yeah. <laughs> and as a keeper of the money, uh, he was used to helping himself to that. Money. 
and and Jesus said says this in a in a way that is commanding uh, that we should not justify our our wrongful actions towards the poor, but that we should care for them deeply. Mm. Um, and he was also uh, kind of rebuking Judas, who himself was robbing the poor. Mm-hmm. So when people use that phrase, man, they're using it for one of two reasons. One, they're using it uh, <laughs> just because it's in the Bible. They have no context <laughs> as to what it uh, really means. And two, uh, because they want to excuse themselves from doing anything. Absolutely. Uh, they want to justify their reason for not doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, and that's oxymoronic. To, oh, be a, sure. uh, to be a Christian or to be, be a follower of Christ and to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Man. You know what I mean? And it's it, so what what is always convicting for me is that um, Jesus himself uh, lived from place to place. He experienced. A, a, a sense of homelessness when he was on the earth. Um, yeah. uh, he was under Roman impre- oppression, and he knew what it was like firsthand to experience even uh, lacking impoverishment in many ways during that time. And so it's always funny for me to engage and have conversations with, with Christians who use that phrase to justify their reasons for not doing anything, but profess to follow a savior that identified <laughs> with the very people that we should be helping and serving. Yeah. No, dude, I feel you. I think, man, what it comes down to, at least in my mind, I, I say this a billion times before on this podcast, there's Jesus is savior and Jesus is Lord are a package deal. You can't have one or the other. And I think what happens is a lot of people like Jesus is my savior uh, but, you know, forget the lordship part. That's not, you know, mm. that's not for mm. me, and, right. which is a failure. It's a it's a misunderstanding of the gospel. But also, too, like I think you said at the beginning of the show, there's some 2000 verses about <laughs> poverty in scripture. Um, and to try to just take one little misquoted bit from Matthew 26, 11 uh, to kind of write yourself off. That just seems kind of uh, crazy or, as you said, oxymoronic <laughs> to yeah. me. As well. Bro, it was a command in the Old Testament. I mean, God told the children of Israel to to leave gleanings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. For those who were in, uh, poor. Yeah. But literally, like when when I think of the impoverished in Scripture, like literally, I think of like what you've done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Like that's what I think of first. Like I I, don't, right. I, 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 I'm not looking to scripture to help me find ways to not help people. <laughs> like, excuses. like I use, I, I hope that scripture will like, will just speak into my life in ways that I can be doing more for the gospel, more for the kingdom, more for what Jesus wants. Um, and, and I feel like those that are looking for ex- like ways to get out of things by using scripture, like they're totally missing the point <laughs> of like right. what Jesus is trying to do. Right. Man. No, that's good, Marty. Thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, they they ta- I've heard people talk about it like that we've in Christianity we've created a, a salvation culture and not a kingdom culture. When the gospel and this is gonna tie into to my next question for you, that when the gospel uh is the proclamation that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord, and then things happen because of that. <laughs> and and um so you you have this really That's this, good, man. 
That's yeah. good. <laughs> he's 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 prophet, priest, and king. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, man. And not not king later, not king tomorrow or in the future, but he right here and right now. Right. Uh, Jesus is king. And so you you have this this quote in the book that you said that I really liked, and I wanted you just to kind of to riff on it for us. You said, "When we neglect the poor, we are missing the core of the gospel." Can you uh, riff on that for us? Yeah, man, it, it goes back to <laughs> what uh, Marty just mentioned about Matthew twenty-five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when he's actually giving a judgment for the nations. <laughs> the thing that uh, Jesus is talking about when he's talking about judging the world is, did you visit me when I was sick? Yeah. Um, did you give me something to eat when I was hungry? Um, like at the core of the message, he, he included this, this, this community of people who were uh, vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I mean, we could go to Luke four, uh, mm-hmm. his first time speaking in the synagogue what did he he, he requoted isaiah <laughs> and he said man i'm here to give good news to the poor like i mean it's all throughout scripture like when you read james uh, marty mentioned james earlier it's in james <laughs> you know if you say you have a pure and undefiled religion what does it say marty to visit a widow you know yeah, to, right. <laughs> to serve the orphan like come on like it's it's all throughout scripture. And I think it, it's at the core of the gospel, man, uh, for us to love the least of these. Um, because here's the thing. We too was the least of these. Absolutely. Yeah. We too, um, was not at the table and was invited to the table of welcome, uh, the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we too needed to hear, uh, that there was a guy in the universe that loved us so much to give us uh, uh, acceptance and belonging, like we uh, taught a home, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a, a family. Uh, and if you can't identify with that, uh, and and you call yourself a believer, then man, I remember being poor in spirit. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I remember Me needing <laughs> to hear that good news, and Absolutely. and so. How dare we want to hear that for ourselves, but withhold it from our our fellow man? Absolutely. Man, yeah, it's crazy, too, because I think so what's interesting to me, too, is like when you start talking uh, the way that we've been talking in this conversation, uh, it's become pretty popular. Uh, I guess I can't put years on it, but more recently, I guess the past like 10, 15 years, it's been pretty popular to accuse people who talk about like serving the poor or whatever of just, you know, propagating something called the social gospel. And then they pit that against what they call the gospel, uh, which has just been conflated to, you know, penal substitutionary atonement. And anytime somebody goes outside of that, then it's this big problem. And that's always been frustrating to me um, because I don't see how you can divorce the two. I don't see how you can separate you know the two. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Have you encountered that kind of uh, speak or maybe readings or, or something like that from people? Do you know what I'm talking about? All the time, bro. I mean, <laughs> we just had one one of the most prominent evangelical leaders uh, call any any church that uh, becomes proximate to anything social justice heresy. 
Um, people try to, uh, you know, say that that it, you know, it's, it's social gospel and <laughs> all of that, man. But you know what? Um, I th- I think it's good news. Absolutely. Um, it reminds me. I, I don't know if you've read uh, the Color of Compromise by uh, Jamar Tipsy yet, but in his book, he's talking about. This is a book about uh, race, um, but in this book, he talks about uh, chattel slavery, and okay. he's talked about uh, people who looks like me and. Um, there were these great uh, leaders that pros- proselytized and kind of converted uh, many people experiencing slavery uh, to the Christian faith. And there was a, a debate, literally, in the state of Virginia. It was the first state that literally debated and formed a council to vote to see if people experiencing slavery would be able to receive Jesus, because if they received what? Jesus— that, that would mean that they're both physically free and eternally free, right? And so they had to form a council to say, and they voted uh, that slaves could be eternally free, uh, but physically they would remain enslaved, right? Wow. Um, and so when we talk about these things, because I'm an African-American, I, uh, I'm an African-American, I live in this country— when I hear things like that, that is social gospel, it doesn't resonate with me. No. Because uh, the message, uh, God is a mosaic, right? And the message to all of God's creation uh, is good news. So uh, for me, uh, when I hear that, I, 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 it, does, it just doesn't resonate because all of my life, all, of, all I've ever known was to... Uh, hear good news that overrides a system that was in place against uh, people who look like me, walk like me, and talk like me. And so um, when I see Jesus, I don't just see Jesus as being a, a, a person that came to to save me uh, from, from me, uh, eternity in hell. I also come, uh, I hear Jesus giving me the freedom to say uh, that I'm the beloved of God, that I'm mm-hmm. worth Uh, and I have value and I have dignity uh, and anything that tries to come against that itself for me when I see itself is is something that is going against uh, the message of Christ uh, towards people who are living on the margins man and um, so in terms of like when people will say it's social gospel I I would say uh, we we follow a Christ that is relational. Mm-hmm. And if, if you want to call that a social gospel, uh, then, uh, that's, that's their problem. But, um, <laughs> right on. So that, that's all I got on that, man. No, um, I love it. Thank I, I come, you. I, I, I come to give good news, man. And good news looks like, uh, living what I believe. And Absolutely. sometimes that may be in a form of a sandwich. Sometimes it may be in a form of, helping somebody find somewhere to stay. Uh, some, sometimes that may be, uh, you know, giving per person a ride or helping them figure out how they could get, uh, you know, stable transportation. That looks like living the message 
that people stand in pulpits and, and preach. Um, and in the words of Fran, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. um, like I, I would rather live a sermon than hear, hear one preached any, any day of the week. <laughs> right on. Yeah. yeah. No, dude, thank you so much for that. I really, I appreciate that so much. And it's so important too. like, um, and I mean, I know this will sound weird just coming from me, but, uh, because I'm not African American, but I had this realization a couple years ago when I was looking at a bookshelf of books that I've read and that the overwhelming majority of Christian theology has been written by white educated males. And like, there's like that blew my mind. And I was like, there's something that something is off about that. And so when I, the social gospel thing trips me out too, because when I hear people saying things like that, it seems to me uh, that it's just people failing to recognize that and failing to hear and see the experience of others and, and right. just reading scripture or theology through the lens of their experience only. When, like you said, uh, like, I think you said God's like a mosaic, that the kingdom of God, the people of God are made up of every nationality, every tribe, every tongue, you know, everybody. And so all voices... All people are creating the image of God. All right. voices matter in God's story. And so we can't bro, keep limiting it to one group of people. Bro, <laughs> you know? bro I'm looking here. Bro, it, was, it wasn't until 1965 that African-Americans had the right to vote, right? Um, my grandfather is still alive. He's in his 80s. Uh, he can tell me vivid, vivid stories about that. The civil rights movement had a, a social gospel and a social ethic that was different from, I think, what most people uh, think about in terms of uh, social gospel. Uh, the, the social gospel, the gospel of good news during the civil rights era was all about existence, <laughs> <laughs> that God has created uh, African-Americans in the, the image of God, um, that we too are equal, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, there are still parts of uh, the sacred document in the United States that uh, well once read that you know African Americans was not even a whole person, right? <laughs> you know right. what I mean. So like when I hear uh, the good news being translated in those regards, um, I yeah I don't I don't see any any difference. I just think it's all good news. Mm. <laughs> no, hey, man, straight I, up. I, I can't imagine uh, if Jesus was alive today. Uh, and the form that he most likely lived in, um, would they would would Jesus have fallen into what they would refer to as the social gospel? <laughs> um, because I mean, if, I mean, Jesus doesn't look like you know most wasps want him to look like. <laughs> uh, Jesus right. doesn't look like the image that the Mormon Church has created of him: blonde hair, blue eyes, white guy. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was a, he legitimately was a POC in, in today's standards and like, and he lived a life anyway. Uh, you know, he, I mean, the the reality is, I mean, even Satan offered it to Jesus. Jesus could have had everything the world had to offer and more. Um, Jesus could have been of amongst the most, well, the, the most wealthy lived the longest, had the most available to him and accessible to him. But instead he chose the opposite he chose to be amongst the least of these. Um, and I, and, and the reality of that is, is that if you asked 
you know, and I, I mean, I'm going to use his name, not necessarily because I think it's him specifically, but the people like the Jill Osteens of today, if you asked them to live for any extent, any period of extended time, like Jesus actually would have physically lived, I don't think any of them would either want to or understand what that truly meant. And then when they had to do it, they would not like it. Mm. <laughs> so like, I mean, I think, I think we live in it. We live in a time today, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, where just a truly understanding poverty, truly understanding what it means to not have, um, it becomes more experiential for your standard, you know, just to be honest, your standard white person, it becomes more of just like you live in experience for for a couple of days, and so then you kind of learn what it means to be without. But then you go back to having what you used to have. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you were right. I've got a bookshelf full of books here. I'm I'm sitting in an office with two laptops. Uh, both were given to me for free. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks, Josh. By the way, <laughs> uh, much love. And, you know, I'm looking around and like I've got a car to drive home in. Uh, my wife has a car that she's driving around doing. I'm. I've got an iPhone sitting on a wireless charger. I mean, like the reality is I don't live in poverty. I don't experience poverty um, at all. And so the reality of understanding what that truly means, I think, you know, is outside the bounds of a lot of people. Um, but, yeah. you know, Josh and I used to work with a guy uh, or we used to work at a church together. And there was a guy who went to the church uh, who marched with Dr. King. Oh, yeah. um, uh-huh. way, way back in the day and I, I won't use his name so cool man so yeah, cool. I, I don't talk to him that much anymore but um, he had story after story after story after story to share um, and I actually did a video shoot with him and uh, I, I can't remember the woman's name but it was a pretty prominent uh, white woman who was marching with um, with Martin Luther King and all of them and uh, he said he was riding a bus uh, from one town to the next, and uh, he saw this guy come running out of the out of the forest. And he said, anytime someone came running out of the forest with when you were on a bus for in these days, you know that was like a fearful thing. You had no idea what they were going to do. Um, right. But uh, the bus stopped and picked them up. And he was that guy was driving a car that this white woman had been in with him, and she had been shot and killed, and he had escaped out into the woods and got on the bus um, to ride with them because he had nowhere to go. He was hiding from them. And they said the rest of that bus ride, everybody on the bus rode in silence and like hiding because they were worried that someone was going to come and shoot up that bus too. Um, wow. And uh, he said, I mean, he didn't, so he didn't march in the main, the, like the biggest, most famous one, but it was a different one. Um, but even still, just the, the stories he was telling and the names he knew, the people he knew, the people he still had, like, literally was talking to up till today. I mean, that, that had a real impact on his life. He was he was crying sharing these stories um, wow. and just, just talking about the way that, you know, my personal opinion, the way that human beings had to fight for human rights um, uh, in, in this country is just it's ridiculous. It's it's totally outside the bounds of what Jesus would have asked. Um, and to, and just you know obviously to know that um, that those people used scripture to base their arguments on uh, in many ways just it, it floors me and blows my mind too. Um, but for many people it was life and death. And so I mean I I guess like what Josh and I were saying earlier like we we will never know what that feels like. Um, and and yeah. in, in some ways yeah. that's kind of a bother to me that it, like I wish I could know that and, and like <laughs> well, experience that too. 
Yeah, and it's 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 not your fault that you will you you will never know. Um, the yep. thing that I, I'm I'm kind of like advocating for is for people to understand who controls the narrative mm-hmm. of people who are impoverished, and most times it's controlled by people who have never been yeah. homeless and yep. impoverished, yep. and we have got to have narrative justice around that. Um, is what I'm calling it. It's, it's, uh, you know, allowing for the stories of those who are silenced to, to speak and have room in the God story itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, straight up. Sweet, man. Well, if, uh, do you still have a few more minutes? Yeah, are I got here? a couple more minutes, man. If All you right. want to. I have a quick I, – I just you, – you talked about this experience in your book. Uh, you kind of weaved it throughout and you mentioned it a little bit. But you did a really cool like a, a, a social experiment where you intentionally uh, went and lived uh, with a population of people currently experiencing homelessness under a bridge. Can you just like give us like your elevator pitch on that so to speak or like just tell, tell us a little bit about that experience because I think story is so powerful. You know, we yeah. see Jesus use story. Yeah. I mean, the Bible has is stories. <laughs> so, like, story's so powerful. Can you share uh, some of that experience with us? Yeah, man. Um, so, in short, I, as I always do, I form uh, relationships with individuals. One, one of which uh, was a guy named Kurt, uh, living behind a abandoned building in the heart of the the city, and. Um, just asked him straight up one day if I could, uh, you know, help him make some contacts to, to get into a shelter. And he, he, uh, he respectfully declined and I was kind of blown away at that. And then he went on to share his story and I got a chance to know him a little more. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me, he says, man, you know, I bet you if you were to go and stay in a shelter, you know, he was talking about the shelter down the street, uh, that you would find it more comfortable outside behind this building with me. He says, one of two reasons uh, why. One, I probably won't get any sleep because I would have to stay up all night uh, protecting my things because everything I own is in this bag. And two, um, there are a few hundred men sleeping in chairs. There's only one restroom, uh, and the smell is so thick you can probably taste it. Mm. Um, he says, I-, I bet you won't do it. I'll never forget uh, riding home, I was meet, reading uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, and I was reading uh, verse 45, for the Son of Man did not come to earth to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pondering that on my ride home, and I was going back to, like, I could control the temperature to the thermostat. You know, I could walk over to the refrigerator. I could take a shower. I had all these things. I just... <laughs> I'm in a abandoned building, and um, I get home and I, I had it on my mind, and I was thinking about like, what if I was to, you know, give this up for a while and, you know, live on the streets like Kurt had challenged me to do. Um, and I asked my wife, and her and my kids was like, what, at first, and then started to think about it, and she allowed me to do it, and. Um, ended up living, uh, did it a couple times for over a month. Um, you know, dug in trash cans, put out of shelters. And I'm talking about in the 
coldest part of the year, which was December. Um, you know, burn donated clothes around in a fire as firewood. You know, begged uh, for money. I remember begging 427 people for a dollar with uh, my friend um, for some medication. Everybody didn't even know what we were asking for the dollars for. We were on the corner holding signs. We were cold. We had people throw cans at us, say all types of, uh, you know, nasty things. <clears throat> you know, had people, we were walking down the street one day, I think it was four or five of us, trying to figure out where we were going to get something to eat. And you would have business professionals look at us and then cross the street. I mean, it was just all of these weird um, but very impactful and traumatic things that happen every single second of the day mm-hmm. on top of trying to figure out how to stay warm on top of being put out of a restaurant because of your homelessness on top of being told no to not have access to water or a cup of water um, on top of being you know pushed out of certain areas because people didn't want us standing around and it was it was normal things that everyday people could do every single day and so what I wanted to do was document it man and and kind of like leverage the art of storytelling and and going through this experience on the other side of having privileges and all that to educate the public which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I, we just recently launched the Dignity Museum yeah. uh, which is the first first museum in the United States uh, that represents the subject of homelessness uh, wanted to strip the microphone from people who have all of the secondhand information and, and bias and prejudice towards those living on the streets and, and literally give it to the people who actually live this or have overcome it and allow them to educate people of how they landed there. Because if you were to ask I mean, the normal person living on the streets, you know, nobody wanted to necessarily be on the street. I mean, who wants mm-hmm. that? Right. You know? So, yeah, man, um, I think it's important to, like Marty was saying earlier, man, we have to have heart change. But I, I see the work that we're doing with Love Beyond Walls now is, mm-hmm. is uh, you know, creating empathy, uh, challenging the stereotypes and changing perspectives. Because until the perspective shift happens, you know, the heart change won't happen. And if the heart change doesn't happen, there aren't going to be any uh, changes in how we behave towards uh, people, our neighbor, (laughs) the people who need the most compassion. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like a strong call uh, to continue this work. And, you know, even, you know, my role in the church, the big C man is is to like challenge uh, fellow brothers and sisters uh, in the faith to, you know, live like Christ and and um, serve God in this way. So man. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, uh, you know, for for all the hard work and the dedication, the care. Like I know the probably the the blood, the sweat, and the tears that you've put into this. Um, just so the, the the listeners, if they didn't pick up on it. Uh, Terrence referenced uh, Love Beyond Walls, uh, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Terrence, but you're the founder of that organization, right? It's a, a nonprofit uh, focused on uh, bringing awareness to poverty and community uh, mobilization. Is that right? Yeah. Awesome. Yep. And then also he mentioned the Dignity Museum. 
uh, which is a pretty cool thing. That's a like a portable display, right? It's in a is it a shipping container, and you can move it around for people to experience. Yep. yep. Sweet. That's uh, it's awesome. A, it's housed in the shipping container, and we have a big announcement of where we're taking it next. Hopefully, uh, we'll release that this coming week. Sweet. Well, yeah, man. Where can so where can people uh, keep up with you? Where can people find Love Beyond Walls? Where can they keep up with Dignity Museum? Where can they uh, follow you? Yeah, uh, I'll start with Love Beyond Walls. Is uh, Love Beyond Walls and the social media handles are the same across the board for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Awesome. Um, the, the same thing for Dignity Museum. It's just Dignity Museum, and that's uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for uh, myself, uh, it's I'm Terrence Lester. Uh, that's I M T E R E N C E L E S T E R. Or you can check me out at terrencelester.org. Perfect. We're going to be sure to link all those things uh, in the show notes of this episode. And also, too, guys, we're going to link uh, an Amazon link of uh, Terrence's book, I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. Uh, and I implore you guys, go pick this up, man. It, um, I couldn't put it down. <laughs> uh, I read through it uh, pretty quickly, and it just it, it blew my mind. Uh, and like I said, it was extremely convicting. Uh, and so I'm so glad uh, that you took the time to, to come and speak with us today. Um, I know this episode is going to be a blessing uh, to our listeners. Um, and so I'm just going to challenge them and also myself included uh, to not just let conviction be something that happens to us, but let us you know, transform our hearts and get us off our butts and uh, go out and, and do something about it. So thank you again so much, Terrence, uh, for everything that you do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you too, Marty, man. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a blessing. Me, I hope to meet you guys in person. Dude, that would be awesome. I be, yeah, I may be in D.C. and Chicago really soon, man. So let's definitely stay uh, linked up, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Stay linked yep. up. Well, uh, I'm going to – I'll add you on my uh, my personal Instagram as well. Um, and then, okay. you know, stay following you so maybe we could we could link up sometime. That would be awesome. Yo, yeah. Hold the book up, bro. Let me shout you all out. I'm going to – I want to see your face too. <laughs> oh, me? Okay. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> nice, Mark. Yeah, we did it at the same I'm time. A, yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to post you guys. And uh, uh, yeah, just let me know when this goes live and I'll sh- I'll share it on my social media uh, as well. Yeah, man, we'll, awesome. we'll definitely do that. And uh, just for your, our, our listeners, uh, guys, thank you again so much uh, for listening. Be sure to go pick up a copy of uh, Terrence's book. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Theology Doesn't Suck. And also, we have a Patreon feed now. It's brand new. Um, if you would like to, to support this show financially to help us reach more people, um, then great. We would you know, be forever grateful. Uh, if that's not your thing or you just can't, then no worries. Uh, we're glad to have you a part of our community as well. So thank you guys as always for listening. Uh, peace out and go Caps. No Blackhawks and Bulls and Bears. <laughs> Shut up, Marty. <laughs> <laughs>